Tom Nyland's life is on the line this week. It's just awful to think what that, you know, that poor man has been through. And all for what? Like, you know, a, a couple of hundred quid. At a time like this, when Tom Nyland's, you know, lying in, in hospital, you know, with his life hanging by a thread, it's of no comfort, really, to tell people that it doesn't really happen that often. But when it does happen, it has, you know, it really does have a huge impact. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The brutal attack on bachelor farmer Thomas Tom Nyland in rural Sligo has struck fear in the elderly across the country. And it's not the first time that senseless violence on a vulnerable person in their home has left many concerned for their welfare in the very place where they should feel safe. So who are the criminals who are targeting older members of the community? And are they organised mobs? Are more chaotic and opportunistic criminals living day to day in a tangle of addiction, drug debt and desperation for cash? Today, I'm talking to journalist Eamon Dillon, who has spent years reporting on some of the most high-profile crimes against the elderly across Ireland. He tells me about the criminals behind some of the most shocking attacks on our pensioners, about the brutal rapist about to taste freedom again, and of the random nature of the robberies that terrorise communities. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. The crime against Tom Nyland appears to be familiar in one way, um, but at the same time deeply shocking. The idea that his life hangs in the balance now, he's in critical condition, he's been seriously injured back in January the 18th after this break-in, and all for what? A couple of hundred euro? That's what it looks like at the moment. I mean, the you know, what, what we've heard is that it's, a, a you know, literally a few hundred euro was taken from him. And, and there was even a couple of hundred euro left behind on the floor, which is just, you know, a really chaotic sort of um, break in and raid. You know, there was apparently one of the the getaway driver, you know, reversed the car in and stayed out front the whole time. So it sounds like they were a bit panicky even, you know, they're not, not necessarily... Um, I wouldn't say professional criminals. They're probably you'll find in these cases that a lot of them are really chaotic people with chronic addiction issues who are looking for a quick opportunity to get some cash so they can get back to doing their drugs as soon as possible. And there wouldn't be necessarily be a great deal of foreplanning in these things, but they'd be kind of they'd be very, I suppose, astute and aware of where there's an opportunity. And unfortunately, we know that. You know, some people have a tendency not to use banks or to keep a couple of quid at home, possibly because they're doing, they're getting a job done. Um, I mean, we've seen in the past in other cases where, you know, people living alone have been targeted by tradespeople, bogus, you know, home repair scams. And a lot of these guys are aware then of, of where, you know, money can be got in the future and they'll often return to the, the, the scene but that there's also then, you know, there has been, and it's definitely happened in the case of Rose Hanrahan, who was murdered in Limerick, where she was, you know, um, tailed home from having used her bank card and, and somebody went after the cash. So, I mean, but I think what happens, I think in this case, I, I mean, Tom Nyland's 
life is on the line this week. As we know, he's in intensive care. He's seriously ill. Uh, his cousin, Michael Clark, you know, has spoken to the media, you know, very movingly about how his uncle's de- condition deteriorated sharply. He'd been speaking well, you know, but he also spoke about, you know, the shocking head injuries and, you know, how, how, how his head had swollen up. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just awful to think what that, you know, that poor man has been through. And all for what? Like, you know, uh, a, a couple of hundred quid. So, like, in terms of the robbery, it's a small-scale cr- crime. I mean, the, the, what happened, leaving aside, mm. you know, what happened to Tom Nyland, it, it's a petty crime. But it has a huge uh, amplification around the country. I mean, there was, I think in 2012, there was a similar case. Well, not a similar case. There was two elderly brothers that were tied up and they were they were uninjured. But again, it caused, you know, national headlines because there is this genuine fear of of um, of crime in rural areas of, you know, targeting people who are living alone, who don't necessarily have family living with them or immediate neighbours. And, and, it, and it kind of, it feeds in then, I guess, to that kind of vicious circle about, you know, people getting more and more worried about it. And it's a, it's a, it's a real, it's, it's, mm. a, it's, a, it's a genuine issue for, for people living, you know, li- living in, in those areas. But, and, you know, at a time like this, when Tom Nyland's, you know, lying in, in hospital, you know, with his life hanging by a thread, it's of no comfort really to tell people that it doesn't really happen that often. But when it does happen, it has, you know, it really does have a huge impact. Yeah, and I suppose, look, crime is going on across the country all the time, but certain crimes will, you know, capture the the national imagination and fears and feed into that kind of thing. And Tom and Ireland, as you say, the idea that a, a, an elderly man could be set upon by these young thugs beaten up and... Uh, Clearly, to get away with such a little amount of cash, there is a desperation there. There's obviously an addiction there, perhaps a drug debt owed or something like that. This isn't organised crime. But in many of the cases before, we have seen people targeted by actual organised crime gangs. And I hope or think at least that, is it in the past that people were keeping their life savings under the mattresses? Or does that still exist? You know, has that message kind of got home to people who are maybe vulnerable and living in rural Ireland that you're better off going to the bank and you can trust either the banks or the credit unions? I mean, you know, you'd like to think that gone are the day that people would leave themselves in that vulnerable a situation that they would be sitting on a cash pile within their homes unguarded. Well, I, I don't think the banks have made it very easy for people um who don't have a bank account or who do have a bank account, if you're elderly now and you're walking into, you know, a bank branch, the chances are now it's in the next uh, nearest biggest town because the one in your local village has been shut. Um, And if you walk into, Mm -hmm. you know, a a large provincial town, you go into the bank, you have to walk around to find someone. It's all machines. They're all trying to, you know, get you to go online. And it's, it's difficult. And I mean, I think... You, you know, I suppose in a way that's where the credit unions, to some extent, have kind of come into the fore. For, but to some, they're also limited in how much money that they're now allowed to handle since the the financial crash in twenty ten. Uh, mm. You know, so like I, I would actually be worried that there are still people out there who are, you know, if they sell a car or sell a piece of land or a bit of farm machinery that they're they're not going to use anymore, that they would they will. They will sleep on it, literally sleep on it, you know, have it hidden under the mattress or in mm. the mattress or, you know, they think they'll, they've got a really good hiding place. But but the problem is then, you know, if it gets out that somebody has or even a rumour gets out 
that somebody's got a you know a tidy sum of money hidden somewhere in 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 the house you're going to attract you know one of these guys if they get to hear about it and and and, and that's the worry and i mean sometimes they can be completely wrong and of course, Eamon, you have to explain yourself if you show up in a bank with anything more than 5,000 because of money laundering legislation as well. You have to explain where it came from. And maybe if people had been saving all their lives and, you know, some people don't like anybody poking into their private business. And yeah, maybe we have tightened down the banks and those money laundering laws nearly to a kind of a, a way that we have uh, we have made it inaccessible to older people who've lived a certain way for a long time. Um, but I think uh, in the case of Tom Nyland, it's these stories come and, and as you say, they kind of create fear. And, um, you know, there is robberies. It's not as if there's a spike in this kind of crime. It's just we kind of can connect with an individual and we can feel empathy and sympathy towards him and his family and his situation. Um, and there have been others in the past, I think, who have who have captured the imagination of the of the nation as well. I mean, going all the way back to Eddie Fitzmaurice, probably the first one I can recall, uh, which was a very tragic case. Yeah, I mean, well, it just shows you how long. I mean, that's 35 years ago now, and it's uh, unlike many of the others. It's 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 an unsolved case, uh, and the circumstances of his death were, were quite horrific. So, I mean, f- for all those reasons, it caught the public imagination. I think it also happened on on the Blue Flu Day when the guards went on strike in 1988. Although whether that had any bearing on it, you know, I suppose is speculation. But um, Eddie Fitzmaurice, you know, like had a small business in, in Balahi, Charlestown there and in, in kind of the Mayo Sligo border. And raiders went in and they broke in and they ransacked the place looking for cash and left him left him tied to the, the banister, tied to a chair in, in his dressing gown. And he, he died of hypothermia uh, before, you know, neighbours eventually realised that there was you know, something amiss and went looking for him. And, you know, every couple of years there's been, uh, there, there has been appeals for, anyone to come forward. I think the suspects are thought to be, you know, local from the region. Uh, and and you regularly, you get that, you get that line from the guards, you know, circumstances may have changed that people may not feel free to come forward and give information they have, you mm. know, about it. But again, I mean, look, the Eddie Fitzmaurice one was just, and, and it wasn't the first. I mean, there were, there were other cases in, in the past before that, um, but but look, I mean, it, it was just it was just a, such a nasty one, like you, you know, and like it's, it's turned up on Crime Stoppers every every couple of years. There was an end, a kind of an end of an innocence about that case. I think you know this little village, and he had his little sort of is it a haberdashery shop where he sold kind of clothing and all sorts of other items. It was real kind of uh, quaint, and he lived above it on his own. Man in his eighties and did no harm to anybody. Obviously, there was a few takings through the shop and it was suspected that he had literally a few bob under the mattress and um he was a much liked individual i mean you know there's mm. there's a business person in that area who every so often rings me and asks me why aren't you doing a story about it you know why why hasn't this you know like why aren't the guards doing anything as if yeah. you know <laughs> the sunday world can suddenly solve it but at the same time he has a point you know he's on his own kind of personal i suppose initiative he's trying to keep the, the issue alive on on on, on the yeah. basis that you know the somebody who was involved might finally come out and and explain what happened although we're we're nearly what thirty five years now it'll be the thirty fifth anniversary this May so 
It's hard for people when they feel their loved ones are forgotten, do you know what I mean? And just left behind that nobody has any any care or interest for them. I think maybe following the Eddie Fitzmaurice case, the next time the whole issue of burglaries and, you know, people breaking into homes of largely people living on their own was the, the case of John Frog Ward and the farmer, Poor Nally. Well, I mean, look, I mean, the, the Eddie Fitzmaurice case, in, in a sense, you know, in the kind of, in the Western area, would have definitely informed, I suppose, opinions and fears in the area, in Galway, where um, Porignali was living. Um, and even, actually, even even before that, there, there was another horrific case in Eden Derry, um, or close to Eden Derry, uh, Paddy and Peter Logan, there were two elderly gentlemen, you know, living on their own in a cottage, um, and they were beaten up for the, for the sake of uh, 57 euro. And Paddy died i think he was the, the younger of the two and peter as far as i know we know he never returned back to the little cottage i mean they, they had been sitting there on a whatever afternoon it was probably a sunday afternoon because they were listening to the the ga match commentary and these these um these career criminals basically you know again they were cr- chronic uh drug users serious problems had formed for this kind of thing uh had, had committed a similar crime in the uk before they ended up in Edenderry and had committed a similar crime again in the UK before they were finally arrested and charged, uh, you know, with the with, with the murder, which I think ended up as a manslaughter charge, and they got ten or twelve years for that crime. So I mean, that, that was that was a huge one at the time. That caused a lot of fear. I mean, there's huge outpouring of sympathy for Peter, the the brother who survived, and then you're going into the whole. Uh, you know, you're, you're quite into kind of 2001, 2004. Then you had you had um, Porignali shot, Frog War dead. And I mean, if ever there's a case that you know where you wanted a, the fear that people you know feel who are living in isolated areas, it's literally encapsulated in this one man. I mean, the the stuff that came out in evidence, you know, in his trial, you know, just kind of highlighted how he was, you know, had almost become unhinged with the fear. Uh, of of of, mm. of being burgled. Now he had good reason. He had had he had um, tools taken from his shed um, on on two occasions in in the kind of you know in the in the lead up. Uh, and Frog Ward's son had knocked on his door two weeks before uh, two weeks earlier, looking for directions to a fishing lake. And he he was on edge. Like you know, Park Nally, you know, used to sit in his shed watching his back door with his single barrel shotgun, waiting to see if anyone entered the yard. He used to put, he used to wet the clay in the summer to see if there was any footprints if people had been in the yard when he wasn't watching. I mean, he he was a guy, you know, he wasn't sleeping. He was he was seriously worried, and I suppose his his worst fears then came true when Frog Ward, you know, turned up in his farmyard and he he shot him. Um, and like, Eamon, who was Frog Ward? Just give us a little background on him. Yeah, John Frog Ward. I mean, like again, this, this is a guy. From, like you know, he had twenty something convictions for for theft, public order. You know, he, he again, you know, he was a petty criminal. Like you know, who'd, you know, to use the parlance, would spin around kind of uh, Galway Mayo looking for opportunities, which you know he would say was about you know buying and selling cars, or you know, or he'd have a horse tied up and he'd be checking on the horse. But the reality was that you know he was he had a long career of of, of theft. He he was also violent. You know, he was a bare knuckle boxer and. When he died, he was facing charges for a machete attack on a on another man. So, 
you, you know, like yeah, a scary he, character he, to see he, coming he into your yard. Fella, you wanted yeah to meet in the middle of nowhere, and I mean, like I mean, like I mean, I was in I was in Kong. I, I was at the property where you know Park Nally lived at the time. Uh, the, the, the 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 little farm, and it, it genuinely you know it's up it's on a, a lane where you know unless you're unless you're involved in one of the farms in the area or you know you're you're working on the ESB supply or something or you're a postman there's no real reason to be up there i mean it's it's not a it's not a through route to anywhere you know you know unless you know unless you're a local like i mean there, there's there's no reason why you'd be knocking around there i mean I, I think there's a lake where there is some fishing going on but i mean you you it's pretty obvious like what you're up to if you're not if you're not doing anything else um yeah, I mean that that was that was a case where I mean there was just such immediate sympathy. Um, what happened that day? So, Frog Ward had had gone into to his yard, had, had gone into Parignali's yard, and uh, and the farmer shot him. Uh, he shot him in the thigh, caught him in the hand with one shot, and then they, according to some evidence given in court, they wrestled for the gun and and uh, uh, he, he Parignali shot him again. And then dragged his body over a low wall, which is the other, you know, across the road from his property, and dropped him over that. And he said the reason for that was he was worried that that other people were going to come along, see his body in the road, and basically attack him immediately and avenge. So he wanted just to quickly get the body out of sight so that he could avoid any further confrontation. That that's that was his his side of the story. Frogward's son, I think, had a different side. You know, he was suggesting there was great intent on the part of Park Nally had said something to him like, well, he won't be coming out again. Now, he was convicted. Uh, uh, I think he, he served about 18 months, Parik Nally, um, and But it was, that was all, he, he, that was all uh, quashed on appeal. And it was for manslaughter, not for murder. But there, there was, I mean, you just remember at the time, I mean, there was a, almost a kind of a, a febrile political kind of discussion about it. Um, you know, people were so upset, you know, and uh, people were kind of, there was a lot of sympathy for him, and you know, and other stuff came up from from the past. I mean, we spoke about the Eddie Fitzmaurice. There was another case of two brothers. I think it was just they were about four or five miles um, f- f- from Parignali's farm, who were also the subject of you know a similar type of aggravated burglary where they were badly injured. So all of these would have been playing on Parignali's mind, as well as lots of other people who felt they were being targeted, and that there was very little that the guards were doing about it because obviously. It's a, you know you, you can't have a guard standing on every country lane, you know at every farmyard, and and there's always that fear then that you're you're he's somebody you know somebody who calls to your farm you know some some person whether it's I don't know to collect the milk or do the artificial insemination once a year or that somebody is or who, the person who drives them or whatever that they're somehow tipping off criminals and getting something in return. So there is that kind of nasty paranoia that I think that that seeps in. Mm. And I think in that case as well, with 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 Nally and Frog Ward, it sort of brought up the whole idea of what rights have we got to defend ourselves if somebody is coming in the window of your house? Uh, do you need to just back it up, roll over, and let them do whatever they want, or do you have any rights to to defend yourself in a reasonable manner? And obviously, that is a much larger, wider scale debate in the states where you seem to be able to. Uh, pretty much, you know, blow someone's head off if they come onto your property. Obviously, we're, we're nowhere near that here. But there was a lot of talk about, you know, the rights of these criminals over the rights of, of householders and farmers and, you know, people who are just 
working hard to try and make something for themselves and, and you know, protect their properties and themselves. But it, it resulted that case in, in this Criminal Law Act of 2011, um, which sort of allowed householders use a bit of reasonable force, I think, if somebody comes in. I think they can, <clears throat> the terminology, I was just reading about it, remove the obligation on householders to retreat. So I, I suppose if they don't want to use the phrase that you hear in the States about the stand your ground kind of idea that, uh, you know, if somebody comes onto your property, you can stand your ground. You don't have to, you know, move out of the way, which I think was the way the law was interpreted at the time. So, I mean, it, 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 like in a way, you, you kind of have to be careful what you wish for. Um, but uh, you, you, it's it's... I, I suppose in a way they wanted to kind of retrospectively make what happened in the Frog Ward case that Parik Nally wouldn't have had to have gone on trial um, and that he actually did mm. use reasonable force. He was an, a much older man against, you know, a, a man with, you know, a, a violent record, you know, a long criminal record as well, and who had no business being on his yard. There was, there was no two ways around it. So I, he probably could have, if that, if that legislation was in effect and it happened again, I mean, that would be used. I mean, I think the first case was, the first case I think it was used in then was um, somebody who'd gone into, uh, they, they'd gone into, I think, somebody's um, mobile home in Finglas uh, and they, they claimed that they were looking for, that they'd been invited to a party to go for a few drinks uh, and had gone into the the bedroom because there was the only light on. And the gentleman involved, I think, who, who lived there said he, he was worried about these two scary looking people. And he picked up a uh, half a garden shears and, and stabbed one of them. So uh, and who died as a result. Mm. So, you know, it, it wasn't quite the rural case. I think that people had, might have had envisaged, you know, it, it turned out to be more of an urban issue. I suppose that kind of highlights the point that it's not all black and white. It's not necessarily all about elderly people in, in isolated rural homes that, are, you know, are, are suffering from aggravated burglaries. Uh, and, and again, like sometimes when we bring in legislation on a specific case, it isn't necessarily going to, you know, turn out the way you think it will. And of course, in the Nally case, that would have been a legally held shotgun that he used and people do have licenses for those. But in many of the other cases that have really highlighted the vulnerability of the elderly people living alone and I suppose really shocked us. They are people without shotguns, without weapons to hand or without any ability really to defend themselves. And that's why these cases are so awful. Um, I know you've written a lot about Simon McGinley over the years and um, he certainly was one that, um, you know, really, really was. There's a lot of baddies out there, but he wasn't somebody you'd ever want to see walking over the threshold of your house. Yeah, um, I mean, Simon McGinley, at the time, when he committed his last offence that he's currently serving, a, I think he was originally jailed for 21 years. I think there might have been a one-year reduction on that in appeal. He, he was he was also the C-case, um, the C-case abortion uh, controversy. He, he was, the, the I guess, the rapist involved in, in that case as well. Uh, and, and the good news is that he's due out of prison later this year. Uh, but his ah, uh, please don't tell me that the the one he's serving time for now. Uh, you just have to be careful about because we have to protect the identity of the person involved. But it was an eighty five year old woman who yeah. broke into her house and subjected her to a protracted um, sexual assault. Well, it was a rape, um, you know, a number of times. 
he basically stripped the woman and took his own clothes off and did what he did and you know was was violent Jesus. and i mean you're talking about somebody at a at a you know at, at such an age living in a living in a town you would have thought that there was there was um you know you would have thought that you know this woman wouldn't necessarily have been as as vulnerable to someone like McGinley as she was uh you know i mean there was the woman's daughter just spoke about you know that the 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 joy of life that her mother had was just had simply disappeared as a result um it, she she was a, unable to give evidence herself then because um her, uh, because of her worsening dementia and a lot of it was was based on a statement that she'd made a couple of, you know i think a, a year or two previous to the to the trial that she so you wonder like you know did was the dementia accelerated because of the ordeal she went through and you know he just he just knocked on he just he just knocked on her door that morning and and pushed his way in Pushed yeah. his way in. And like he's due out of prison. I didn't realise that. Well, I mean, I just hadn't applied myself to him in a long time, but he gives me the shivers, even the look of him. Um, how is he due out of prison? That was 2009. And he got yeah, 21 so, years. Well, I mean, you serve you serve about two thirds of your sentence. So, I, I mean, that's, that's, that's 14. Seems like I know, yesterday. That's these things, but that's, that's a problem, Nicola, when you're around as long as we are. <laughs> yeah. All these, these stories come up again. But Simon McGinley, like, is he any way, would you believe to be, has he attended any sort of courses in prison? Do you know if he's any way reformed? Has he ever, has he ever apologised for what he did or is he coming out the same guy that went in? Very dangerous individual. I mean, who knows is the answer to that. I mean, mm. a lot of these courses at, at the time were very much just talking therapy and, you know, a group of people around the chair. And I mean, to, to some extent, you know, how do you... Uh, like what kind of therapy is going to stop somebody who, when they get drunk, commit this kind of stuff? You know, you know, it, it's just it, the only thing is, is is really a supervision and monitoring. I think for some of these guys afterwards, that they possibly need, you, you know, sheltered housing or something. You know, where they're supervised and you know they they have to be in at they have to be in home at nine o'clock. You know, or they're or they're um, or they go back to prison and they have to do drug tests and they have to be breathalyzed to make sure they're staying off the drink. You know, I mean. I, I don't know. I mean, that, that would be considered quite, I suppose, quite radical, I think, in, in, in Ireland to do, to do that kind of monitoring. But it, the chances are, if, if you focus it on the, the worst offenders, that, you know, it, w- it wouldn't necessarily be suitable for all sex offenders. I mean, some of them are, are what they call environmental. You know, they were genuinely one-offs or, you know, you know and, and there isn't a record. But I mean, in, in the case of C.K. McGinley, I mean, there's no doubt like that this guy is dangerous. And, and you know, the idea that he's going to be walking free, you know, before the end of the year it isn't isn't particularly comforting. I mean, you know, it's, no, I mean, you know, something unfortunately is going to go wrong at some point. I mean, he's, he's done it before. And he's going to do it again. I mean, that's that's, you know, in his case, I, I can't see I can't see any other way out, you know. You have two ends of sort of the sort of the victim spectrum there as well. You have a young teenage girl, very vulnerable from memory, she was um, she was raped in a in a, a tent environment and uh, was almost given as payment. Um, and then a very elderly woman who who answers the front door. And you know you can't have old people living in constant fear. These are, I suppose, we have to reiterate. These are random acts of violence, and that's maybe no comfort to people. But they were not really seeing a. Um, a trend here. This seems to be these people all seem to have been, uh, you know, assaulted within their homes by people who are 
opportunist and, and in a way you can't kind of constantly defend yourself or, or you know, seal yourself in into a sort of an almost a, a home prison because of opportunists that can come anywhere. Like, I mean, you could meet an opportunist walking down the street or, or in, a, in a busy area as well as you could a rural one. And I suppose in, in a way, speaking of opportunity, like it's also become a political issue in a lot of sort of, you know, the Midlands and, and Western counties. The idea of rural crime, I, I mean, there's been kind of big public meetings about it, you know, a lot of it by, some of it by farmers' organisations, some of it by residents. I know that in in, in 2012, there, were, there was a couple of cases. Um, I think at the same time, there was, there was three members of the Creed family in, in Palace Green and Limerick were tied up and robbed. And then, you know, later, it wasn't that long afterwards, then there was two brothers, Michael and Owen Kelly, in, in Williamstown and Galway. They were tied up and attacked and robbed um, in, in their home. I mean, th- there were two men in their 80s. I mean, they suffered minor injuries, but it was a three-hour ordeal. And again, you know, it, it, it just looks like one of these kind of opportunistic, you know, small-time, you know, chronic, chronically addicted criminals just looking for, for petty sums of cash. So, Eamon, well, a lot of our experience is that these attacks, these robberies are very much random acts of violence carried out uh, on elderly people. There does seem to be this week some growing concern that there's more organised groupings, um, you know, on the rise. And, and there was warnings this week uh, that the Gardaí are concerned that, that this type of activity is is growing over the last couple of months. Yeah, I don't think that's entirely unusual in that you, you do have an uptick of burglaries during the winter months when the evenings close in and it's darker. I think also there's an element of some of these, you know, criminals are, are arousing, arising from their slumber again after being locked down during uh, the coronavirus, which was was very effective in, in, in keeping the, the mobile burglars off the roads. I mean, they kept everybody off the road, so it kept these guys off the roads as well. So, in other words, that this is again part of these these uh, sort of, not trends, but these fears and concerns about this sort of thing rises and falls on an ongoing basis. And uh, while there are definitely and always are organised crime groups involved that realistically the kind of more high profile cases are random attacks. I, absolutely. And, and I think, I mean, we, we said it earlier, but, you know, just that the kind of the fear level is just amplified when you have somebody vulnerable as attacked. I mean, I mean, this week as well, I mean, there, there was there was another pre, uh, another case, but there was also one of a young woman who was 22 who was uh, attacked, reportedly attacked by a man with a hammer trying to steal a phone that she had advertised for sale. But luckily, she had gone to meet the buyer with uh, with her boyfriend. So I think, you know, the people from Age Action have come out um, this week as well to say, look, it's important that people who've already spent a lot of the pandemic locked up, you know, you know to, to try not to let this fear, I suppose, take over and, and possibly do even more damage. I mean, you know, people need to be vigilant. They need to look after their neighbours. But at the same time, you know, you can you can overstate the, you know, the, the, the danger posed. I mean, to be honest with you, like, you know, a 20 something year old uh, going out and buying chips after a night out at two in the morning is possibly at greater risk than most pensioners, you know, of, of being the victim of violence. And I suppose the reality is, Eamon, that the, the media have, uh, you know, a role in all this as well, because 
we follow the, the the trends in reporting as such as at another time, a woman who got attacked for her iPhone that she was trying to sell online, that wouldn't make the headlines, that wouldn't make it into the paper. So there's kind of a, an element of when one robbery, you know, when when the the likes of the, the Tom Nyland, unfortunate Tom Nyland case comes to, to the fore, then other cases of robberies would be reported on, which might necessarily never have made it into the news headlines. Yeah, I, I mean, that that's certainly true. And I mean, and you can certainly see it, uh, you, you know, in recent weeks that th- there's been a lot more reporting of, of attacks on young women. Although I have to say, like some of the attacks on young women that have that have occurred more recently, uh, I think they would have made the news anyway. You, you know, they, they are severe enough. I, I think somebody been, you know, been robbed, at, you know, with a hammer for their iPhone, you I think would mm. actually, you know, in fairness, make the news. I think often what happens is that sometimes people become more aware of these stories um, and, and all of a sudden they're paying attention to stuff that was always there. I mean, you see a lot of that on social media, you know, people saying, oh, why aren't mainstream media covering this? And they provide a link to, you know, the Sunday World, the Irish Independent or RTE. You know, it's it, their perception, <laughs> like, you know, nobody's been covering the story and, Yes. You know, and they provide a link to, to mainstream media that have been covering it all along. So sometimes these stories are there all along and the media, to some extent, have been covering them. But I think, you know, people aren't necessarily paying any attention to them. It's an awakening of such, uh, you know, to, of people that, you know, these things exist, they're happening. But it's it's a kind of an awakening, throwing attention on them. And maybe they do move from within newspapers to the front pages depending on, on, on what the climate is at the time but um, look for the moment Eamon Dillon thank you very much thank you Nicola you've been listening to Crime World a podcast from sundayworld.com produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me Nicola Talent if you like the podcast and love true crime Why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.